You're listening to The Sports Buffs, the official podcast of Imperial Sports Business Club. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the first ever episode of The Sports Buff, the official Imperial College Sports Business Club podcast. I am your co-host, Daniel. And I'm your co-host, Henry. Uh, The first thing I want to address, Daniel, is why this podcast is actually called The Sports Buff. That's a very good question, Henry. I thought you came up with the name. No, I would have called it something different, but we'll roll with it anyway. <laughs> All right, we'll just go ahead. The dynamic of a sports buff is we're going to interview sports professionals to get some interesting insights into the workings of the industry. We'll be trying to let them lead the conversations, but just pretend we're not here when we're actually speaking. <laughs> we are joined today by Jason and Scott. They work at Stance, an uh, interesting startup, which they will tell us more about. How are you guys? Yeah, doing good, doing good. Thanks for inviting us to your podcast. I think, are we the first guests? You are the first guests. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, thanks for inviting us for your first show. Appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess just to kind of kick us off, I mean, you guys must be incredibly busy the whole time. I mean, most of everyone's time in a startup is usually taken up 24-7. But I just want to kind of take you back before you kind of started this whole idea and kind of take it back actually, yes, to that that original idea Um, and just kind of a bit of background about how you kind of came up with the idea for the startup and, you know, who you had on board at the start and how that's kind of progressed. Yeah, for sure. So, um It'll be probably good to get both of our perspectives on it. So Scott's come at a very different time and some from a very different background to, to me. But in terms of how I ended up doing stance, well, I did my undergrad at Imperial in engineering, mechanical, which is no way relevant to tech at all. Uh, and then I worked in the corporate world. I worked in defense and that was really fun, learned a lot of things. But I just felt like the corporate world wasn't for me. It wasn't my calling. I couldn't see my life being behind a computer desk just punching numbers and taking direction from people and it just it didn't feel like me I couldn't be myself so I wanted to work in a smaller team and I felt like that made sense for me I can be myself I can be creative etc so I joined uh, a startup uh, which had some really cool innovation in the uh, wind turbine industry renewables industry and that's where I met my co-founder and it was during that time where Alex and I we just got on well together and um, we were able to identify problems and just come up with solutions, you know, building teams around us, getting people on our side. And we just felt that we were pretty good at that. And then one day, you know, we used to go to the gym a lot. Alex is ex-army and I just, you know, do a lot of strength training. Uh, and we just look, why are we busting a gut, you know, working for someone else and we should be doing something for ourselves? You know, we're pretty good at this. You know, we're, we're kind of running most of the show here. Uh, and then COVID was happening and we thought, you know, hold on, why don't we create something interesting in the strength training space, something that we like, but for the home market, because everyone's at home now. And that was kind of the inception of the idea. I managed to get the opportunity to do an MBA. So it was a good way for me to explore entrepreneurship too. So Alex and I were like, hey, let's double down on this. Um, and yeah, it was that year, two years ago, where we spent trying to come up with a product. Now, 18 months down the line, we've pivoted, changed, brought Scott on board. So Scott's an integral part of the team and that's where we are today. Yeah, I mean, so um, for those of the people that are unfamiliar with the startup, I mean, the the app is, or the the product is based around, you know, kind of more kind of smartwatchy stuff, but mainly for kind of strength-based training. And what's what's the kind of uh, mechanics behind that and what what was the kind of functionality behind it? Yeah, so you step step foot inside the gym and you... 
there's just loads of trackers out there that can track everything cardio related. So your steps, you know, how many you know, miles you've run, your heart rate, heart rate variability. But in the strength training space, you know, everyone's pretty much clueless. You know, you see the 15 year old kid looking like he's going to break his back when he lifts some weights, or you've got the geezer who's lifting the same weight day in, day out. And the biggest problem that we found is no one knows what weight to lift and no one can assess progress. So we decided to solve that problem. And we thought tapping into data from a device that people already have would be an easy way of doing that. So instead of measuring things like heart rate, we measure motion. So we understand how well someone's moving. So we can give a, a new perspective in, into strength training. So not just weights and reps, we can understand how well they're doing those reps. And then from that, we can then start predicting how well a user's doing and start telling them exactly what they need to do to hit their goal. And so kind of, um, for example, if I, if I was a kind of young person that wanted to get involved with this, right, and I kind of saw your technology and thought, oh, that's an interesting idea, what would I be able to see by kind of buying your app, buying your machinery, buying your stuff? What, what, what's the kind of, what, what am I seeing A to B in terms of progress with the help of your kind of product? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So I guess I'll answer that question from a different perspective. So if you had a coach, right, and you're doing an exercise and you're doing a set and doing a bunch of repetitions, a coach would see how well you're doing that. He'd see how fast you're moving. He'd see whether you're going down deep enough in your squat. If we're taking a squat, for example, and he's probably assessing your tempo. And that's exactly what our app measures. It measures all of those metrics. It measures kind of the speed that you're putting into each repetition. So your force that you're outputting, it measures your tempo. So how well are you controlling the weight? Or is the, is the weight controlling you, right? And then are you consistently hitting your range of motion? So measuring the distance between how far you're going into your squat. Again, taking squat for an example. So we measure all of those metrics. And then, you know, Scott and I are literally deciding this today. You know, how do we display that to a user? And you know, giving them some kind of effort score or proficiency, um, that's what they'd see. And I wonder, you mentioned that you calculate the motion that the person is doing. Are you able to do that just from the one wrist device? Talking about the smartwatch or? Yeah, so um, we're starting off with barbell exercises. And in most of those exercises, your wrist is moving in line with the barbell. So we take the motion sensors out of that smartwatch to tell us, you know, speed, distance, and time, right? So we just play around with those metrics to, to give you these insights. But obviously, when people start to do more functional movements, uh, we'll need to potentially put another device on their body where we can measure different types of motion. But that's kind of later down the line today. We're just getting the software right on a device that a lot of people have. So it just makes our lives as you know, entrepreneurs a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, like, much has been kind of written about, like, how people that run startups, how they operate on, like, a day-to-day -day basis. Are you, are you kind of a, a person who is, like, constantly filling different roles and requirements throughout every day, you know? Uh, I just want to kind of get a little snapshot of, like, what it's like to be, a, like, running a startup for the people that are listening. It's probably a good time to, to get Scott into this podcast because <laughs> he's done this a number of times and his insight will be a, a lot better than mine. Yeah, I think the life of a startup founder is pretty varied. You can have to do anything at any particular point in time. So I guess the challenge is trying to identify what the most valuable thing is that you can do. So yeah. obviously there are admin things that have to be done at any particular point in time. Yeah. They're the fundamentals. And then you have to look at what resources you have available and what's possible to do within a period of time, given the resources that you have. 
I guess the other part is seeing what you can scrounge, for want of a better word, off other people. So what resources can you get to not have to pay so much money for? So can you work with larger organisations that are willing to give you some resource, create some form of, let's say, micro project that has some benefit for both parties? So we're working with some people at the moment where we're doing some research pieces. Um, hopefully those research pieces will be valuable for both parties. We get some resource, we get some data from it, and then we can create some PR off the back of it for both of those two entities. So try and create win-win scenarios for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's an interesting dynamic, you know, a kind of person running a startup, but also a person that's been involved in so many different startups as well. I mean, when, you, when you're kind of choosing a project to get involved into, whether it be a startup or another project, kind of like what do you look for and, you know, what was so special about about this project that you wanted to get involved with? I think first and foremost, it's the people. You can liken a startup to having a life partner. You're going to probably spend more time with the founders than you are with your life partner in reality. Like, you know, you're spending, I don't know, working eight to ten, maybe more hours a day. You're doing that five days a week, sometimes six, seven days a week. It's a lot of time you're spending with that person. So, I guess from my perspective, I was trying to look at the people, and that's one of the things that impressed me about Stance and Jay Shannon. <laughs> Jay Shannon Alex. Not in terms of life partner, I should say, but in yeah, terms of the journey that they've taken. The journey they've taken has been very impressive. Like They're part of tech stars. Um, they've gone through a number of different pivots. And for me, I guess as an outside person or an investor, those pivots are really important. It means that you're learning. And every time you learn, you can make better and more informed decisions. And I felt that also Jay Shen and Alex are very data-driven and very open. Yeah. And as a startup, you need to be very flexible. Like We don't have the answers of everything immediately. It's a journey. And part of that journey is about experimentation. Mm. Try to understand how to utilize your resources. Create little experiments. See whether they work. Some of them are going to work. Yeah. Some of them are not going to work, and that's totally fine. We shouldn't ever have a fear of failure. It's yeah. just about learning. And some of the greatest companies, or the biggest companies, most successful companies that the world has at this point in time have taken that approach. Amazon, Facebook, they're big advocates of experimentation, and they have whole teams around experimentation on you know, testing things as frequently as possible, as many things as possible, getting the results, and then you build on the things that are working well and you dismiss the things that haven't worked. And I have to say, we're, we're a lot more data-driven and diligent since Scott's come on board. And a lot about being an entrepreneur is not, I guess it's not just having an idea, it's execution. Like, the execution is key. What's the maximum value that I can generate from the resources that I have? And it's not just value in the sense of, you know, building a team, you know, getting a customer on side with something that you're selling, you know, partnerships, whatever it is, using the resources that you have. There's so much science in that. And before we didn't give it much thought, you know, Alex and I would be like, oh, let's throw a little bit of money here and see where that goes. You know, let's put some money here and see where that goes. Whereas, you know, since Scott's come on board, it's like, okay, let's take that feedback now and now understand, okay, what's the next decision we need to make and what's the right, of money, right amount of money we need to give to that decision. And that's just been quite, just yeah, just eye-opening, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, time, money. Yeah. Time and yeah, money. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, it's, we only have a limited amount of runway, shall yeah, we say, yeah. with this investment round that we have at any particular point in time, to make some level of progress. Yeah. We have to determine what that level of progress should be, 
before we then go out and potentially raise the next round of finance. Yeah. So we're always trying to make some form of progress towards the goal in creating a, an app that people are going to use and is as sticky as possible. What does that mean from a revenue perspective? And then how can we showcase traction and a trajectory that is always moving up? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, it seems to me like, you know, the, like, degree of success or, fa success or failure with a lot of startups are, you know, depends on these kind of relationships between, you know, investor and the actual person that runs a startup. Like, Jay Shan, like, for the people listening as well, like, wondering, you know, how they find people like Scott, because what you've made clear is that it's very important having people like Scott around, you know, how do you kind of find those kind of people to support the... <laughs> I can, t I can tell you a story about how I f how we found Scott yeah um, and that was an interesting one very random but I'm so glad it came about um, so I was looking for someone to help us on the UX side of things so we had a good idea of what our product was we just needed someone to kind of implement it so I went on this entrepreneurial slack channel and I was like hey does anyone know any UX designers and then Scott replied and said hey I can kind of help you out on this and I was like okay worth taking a call worth meeting up for a coffee Went out for that coffee and then, you know, we worked, decided to work on a small little project, uh, did that and realized the amount, the value that Scott could add. And then you know, from them, the relationship just grew. And now he's literally, like I said, at the start, an integral part of the team, you know, not just help, helping us on the, on the design at all. It's the product, the business decisions, the investment piece. It's just, yeah. But yeah, in terms of where you find investors, just going on that point. It's networking. You just you just have to network. Um, we learned this on TechStars, and there's three important things that always resonates with me, always resonates with me in terms of running a business. You need cash, obviously, because that's your life. Um, you need customers, and you need um, cash customers. What the last one? That's <laughs> embarrassing. Um, people, right? And basically, all that's defined by your relationships. So you just constantly, you need to constantly be networking, whether it's with your customers or whether it's with partnerships or investors. You just got to go to these networking events because you never know who you might find. A mentor could turn into an investor. Um, a customer could turn into an investor. So you never know who you're going to meet. Um, you just got to have to keep putting yourself out there and talking to people, really. Yeah, I mean, for, just bringing it back to the actual product as well, like... Um, in terms of like trajectory, obviously you guys have pretty big plans for this this app as well. But in an ideal sense, what's the kind of end goal and what's the vision of the app that you want to see? Like, would you want to see like people like with huge personalities in the kind of fitness and bodybuilding world using this app, or would it be like a kind of more mass market thing? Or what's the kind of end goal? Yeah, I mean, I've always said I'd I'd like the idea of walking into a gym. And then someone just using my app, like that's just a really cool thing to, to have to say. But in terms of the big vision, I think the name Stance being synonymous with the word strength, I think is is really cool. Like if we can really dominate that space, whether that's in strength training in the gym or in healthcare, like prehab, post, you know, op, or even in aging population. You know, we're in an aging population now where everyone's living longer, but you know, our muscles are deteriorating and loads of people are having, you know, hip fractures and all this sort of stuff. No one's addressing that market. So, you know, strength can fall into a, a number of different things. Um, and that's just really interesting and that excites me. And it's completely untapped. And we definitely have the vision um, to take us there. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because, um, you know, you kind of, 
as soon as you kind of are producing this kind of really successful startup and it kind of gets growing momentum. Well, as it grows momentum, you kind of then start to worry about other things as if like, you know, what, what could the big firms producing the fitness startup watches kind of look at this and say, or oh, can we kind of borrow a bit of the technology? Mm. Are there kind of patterns that you guys have got or is it kind of like, you know, this is the thing we're going to have to defend? I think there's a two aspects from it. There's firstly the data that we're collecting. We're collecting data that people haven't collected before. And we're trying to make the best use of that within the market that we've got. I guess we don't know what we might do with that data in two or five or ten years' time. There could be other applications that we haven't thought of right now, but it's useful because we've got data in theory that people haven't seen before. Um, yeah, and that's, I guess, an exciting aspect of it that there is so much potential to be used. And I guess like rolling out the app is obviously a really key phase of it. What, what What's the kind of time scale of that? And how do you plan for something as, as big as that in like a journey of a startup? Yeah, we're, we're literally planning that as we, as we speak. So we have a goal to roll this out um, in six months. So there's a, there's a bunch of things that need to fall in place. So that's getting the tech right, you know, getting the product right, getting the marketing right, making sure people are aware of who we are. So when we launch the app, you know, we don't go through a phase of, okay, let's find people to use it. So we're trying to plan for all of those things and we're giving ourselves a six-month deadline. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what we're doing now and managing it and trying to execute it. Yeah, I mean, uh, that whole process is must be really, really tricky to go through. I mean, what, what, what's the kind of uh, the leeway or the, the give on that six months? Is it a situation in which like these timescales can change really quickly, obviously within a startup as well? So uh, yeah. on, on, on a kind of more general point, how do you kind of manage the whole time versus expectation aspect of running a startup? Um, I mean, Scott, Scott could have some insights on this, but from my perspective, like we've, we've pivoted two times now and we've gone through this, Quite a lot we've done, you know, the tech piece, the marketing piece individually a number of times where we know what we need to do now. We're very, our goal is very clear um, and, and Scott's kind of um, support into that is, is very clear too. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard deadline. You know, obviously we have a runway and, and we want to be able to reach a milestone and continue raising on investment. Um, but I think... Everything's kind of in place now, so it's purely about execution. You know, the timing's right. We've got the team around us. We know the people who are going to help us get to where we need to get to at the end of the six months. So it's it's literally just managing that the best we can. Yeah, I think so long as we can prove that we are making progress, and I guess the key thing that we'd like to do over the course of the next three to six months is bring some revenue in. So with pre-revenue, we've got effectively zero revenue at this particular point in time. In three to six months, we'd like to show that we have some revenue. And then it's up to us from the product perspective to make the app as, let's say, sticky as possible to get as many people using it on a continuous basis as we can. And then that will demonstrate a good level of progress and trajectory for us. Mm. I, I know both of you have used this kind of term sticky, making the app sticky and all that. Um, it, it, for someone that doesn't really understand how that kind of works, is is it kind of the same as how something like a box office hit would release in, a, in the kind of seminars? How important is that kind of initial period of like the first three, six months like to make to make that kind of the app as sticky as possible, as you would as you would put it? 
Well, I think that's just about iterating and understanding what is valuable to our users. We are obviously interviewing as many people as possible, our target users. We're getting a good sense right now of what people find valuable. But we do have limited resources. There's only so much that we can do. So the way that we're thinking about things at this particular point in time is to identify what data is valuable, so to present that data back. And from that, we're putting some analytics inside the application that will enable us to see how frequently people are looking at that data and potentially what they're doing with that data. The next side is about insights, so trying to provide some human-readable insights that you can get if you look at the data, but actually we're going to make that easily understandable for you so you can quickly look. So you might be at the end of a set, for example, there's a short sentence to give you a sense of what you've done or what you can do to make some level of improvement. Then progress. We're trying to define what does progress mean, which is quite tricky. Progress means different things for different people. Like, are you training for strength? Or are you doing something else? Or are you doing something that, I guess, is more cardiovascular? Like, people have a lot of different perspectives on what, what progress is, and we're trying to genericize that but at the same time make it specific which is not a very easy thing to do and then about recommendations so how can we look at what a personal trainer would do if they were in front of you and then take elements of that to give you a sense of what you can do next and so is that at the end of a session is that at the end of a set is that just after you've completed a rep there's lots of different ways that we can view that data we don't have answers on all those things right now but that's part of our journey that we've got to take over the next three to six months of understanding where the value is mm. i guess also we've heard from jay shan's perspective how great it is having someone like scott come in but for you scott how 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 do you kind of go about you know choosing which projects to get involved in uh, from the startup level, choosing which kind of teams to help out. I mean, I know you said it's to do with the people, but like, is it something that you look for as having a personal interest in, I mean, the project, or do you see something that, you know, you could see loads of people liking or how personal is the whole experience? I don't generally look at it from, would I use this app on a personal basis or would I use this thing on a personal basis? I think it's about potential more than anything else and enjoying the work that you do. So as I mentioned previously, I felt like Jason and Alex went through a very interesting journey. I like the fact that they pivot. I like the fact that they are in favour of experimentation and that just seemed to be a structure that I felt that I could add value and thrive in. This is the second time that you've mentioned, Scott, which I think it's interesting of pivoting and not maybe falling in love with one specific idea, but being mm -hmm. able to, to change. Is there maybe an example, Jason, that you could tell us in stance, maybe the initial idea was something completely different than what it has become nowadays? Uh, yeah. All the ideas were still in strength training, right? But because the world has changed so much in the last, what, two years, we've had to change too. So the very initial idea was trying to create the strength training version of Peloton, right? So some in-home, at-home equipment where you can strength train and have some person on a screen telling you what to do. But the interesting thing about that device was we were going to use magnets to replace actually having to lift weights. So you could save a lot of space and still lift, you know, a serious amount of weight in your house. 
Um, we had some IP for that, which is another reason why I wanted to get involved because, you know, Alex was a person I worked with. I love strength training and we had some access to IP. So it made sense for us to dive in and explore this. Going on that journey, you know, we had a prototype for the hardware, etc. But it was a lot of hardware and it was going to take two years to get to market. You know, it's a big device. We we're going to sell it for about £2,000. That was a plan. So for an investor, that's a very risky proposition. So for me, you know, learning about, you know, this whole journey, I realized actually, you know, I've got to figure out a way where we can create an idea that has value to a user, but also gives a user, a, an investor a, a return quite quickly, right? So then we pivoted into an idea that was slightly less hardware, so kind of IoT, collecting data from gym equipment to provide value to gyms and their users. Explored that, that had some merit. But then we realized we were trying to run two businesses at the same time, you know, selling something to the to the gyms and also selling something to the users. You know, we had to pick one or the other, um, especially because we were a startup and had you know limited resources. So we decided to go down the B2C route because it made a lot of sense because strength training is trending. A lot of people are into this right now. Um, and then we figured out, actually, instead of building any hardware, you know, we can just tap into smartwatches. You know, that's data no one's utilizing today. And we can create a lot of value from that to a user. So the last two years, the pivots have been around making the proposition more valuable and stripping out all the stuff that we don't need, which is irrelevant. So like the hardware and the, the software is pretty much not even valuable now. It's the data. So that's that's what we're focused on. And that's it's taken us. Yeah. And those were the pivots to get to that point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, Scott's mentioned how important these kind of pivots are. Um, is that something that you always look for in a company, the ability to kind of adapt and manage their expectations and manage their failures more importantly as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think pivoting is a very important part of being a startup and having an open mind in anything. Like As I said before, we don't know what's perfect at this point in time. It's just a journey that we're going on. And I guess that's why the people aspect is really important as well, because you're going on a journey. Nothing's going to be perfect. There are going to be points that... We should have some big successes. There are going to be some points where we have some projects that aren't going to go so well and we've all got to be open to um, to the routes that we take. And kind of on a, on a more technical side of the app as well, um, like how, how, can you just walk me through, like for someone that's you know has very little knowledge of the technology behind it, um, like how the smartwatches have become, I know, you know, suitable to be adapted. You know, obviously this is going from fitness-based to kind of strength based was obviously quite a big leap. How are kind of, for example, an Apple smartwatch, how is that adaptable to, to strength training in the way that you guys see it from the app side of it? Yeah, so a lot of um, issues people have around smartwatches currently being able to track strength training is that the heart rate data doesn't really give you some valuable insight into how much effort you put into the strength training side. You know, for, for cardio, if you're going for a run, your heart rate's up somewhere and then that gives you some sort of insight. But for strength training, it's not the same correlation. But what is an, what are you doing in strength training? It doesn't matter about the load that you're lifting. What you're actually doing is training a movement, right? So for that, we thought, why don't we look at motion sensors? And no one's really been using that data to inform a user on how they're strength training. So, you know, we looked at other applications that are on the market. So there's a a motion kind of enabled device that fit that um, that is being sold to the high performance market. So we're taking some elements of that that we know works, but repurposing it for the B2C market. So, you know, CrossFitters, those kind of individuals. 
Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we're doing, and that's how smart watches can help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you you just need the app, right? No extra hardware. You needed. need uh, a smartwatch too. So right now we're just doing this on Apple Watch and iOS, but we could have we can then um, have this across Garmin. So any any smartwatch because all of them have uh, motion sensors, and we can tap into all of those motion sensors. But you know, as I said earlier, that just gives you one point on how your body's moving. But if you're doing a complex movement like a pull up or a or a muscle up. Mm your wrist really, really isn't moving in that scenario, right? So that's where you know our vision is to potentially introduce a wearable, which has a sensor that you can move around the body. So it starts to build a picture of how your body's moving. Mm. Um, and that can give us more insights into other different exercises, mm. which can also play into different sports. But again, that's, that's a different, uh, you know, there's so many ways that this can go. And yeah. it's, it's always important just to figure out, it's just to be focused in the short term and then medium term and have some idea of where we're going long term but but it's an interesting question you ask around smartwatches and this is just my take on it i mean every i listen to a lot of podcasts around fitness because you know i'm in this space and and they say the future of humanity you know everyone says this whole ai stuff but it's also like bionic you know we're going to be integrated with machines right and this and wearables is the start of that it's tapping into the data that's on us to make some informed decision uh, and wearables is just at the beginning of this journey. But there's just so many incredible things that you can do by tapping into health data. You know, people are already predicting if you can, um, if you're likely to have, or if you have COPD by looking at certain, you know, blood oxygen sensors. You know, some um, Harry on our teams <laughs> validated that at Imperial, which is fantastic. You know, it's just crazy the amount of insights and predictions you can make just of one sensor. So just imagine what you can do with just a few of them. Yeah, I mean, I think with that apocalyptic point of view, <laughs> bionic humanity. Yeah. I've been watching it's... a lot of Last of Us, so all yeah, of the time. Oh, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't no. bionic like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting, and, and stands will be definitely part of the movement, so yeah. that's, um, that's exciting. For all those listening, if you guys want to check out uh, Stans, uh, go have a look at their LinkedIn page um, and see what else they're getting up to. It's really interesting stuff. But uh, in the meantime, thank you so much, Joe, Shan, and Scott, for coming around to us uh, to talk to us this morning and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, thanks, Thanks. Thank you.